Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, Josh Pacheco and Hunter Hughes. I mean, I think we all worked hard throughout the offseason. Um, and I'm not someone to talk about myself the entire time, but, I mean, it takes a lot. You think you think I wanted to to build all this muscle? Like, not. To some extent, like, I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a little lighter. There's... I know there's a mixture of things that people don't understand that people don't know about that are talked about that go behind the scenes. So, you know, I'd appreciate if you kept my name out your mouth. That's what I'd say. Off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. Oh, Tua. Oh, Tua. He gave us the Will Smith line. Keep my name. Although he kept it very family friendly. Keep my name out your mouth. There you go. That was Tua earlier today um, after uh, hearing about Ryan Clark's words on uh, on NFL Live about his weight. And I've got Ryan Clark uh, audio. Uh, we'll play that in a second as soon as we've got it uh, queued up in the studio. It is off the bench here on ESPN Honolulu. Hunter Hughes is here, um, of course. Uh, I'm Josh Pacheco. Great to have you along with us. Uh, Coming up, Andrew Allegretta, Vanderbilt play-by-play voice. Uh, bottom of the hour, we'll talk with Nick Shepkowski from uh, Fighting Irish Wire at USA Today Sports. Uh, we'll have him at about uh, 5 o'clock today. But uh, the Tua Tonga-Vailoa conversation is certainly an interesting one. You heard um, part of his response to the media today. Um, Liz will let me know if we got the Ryan Clark audio queued up. It's in the email. Uh, <laughs> I didn't tell her. But um, basically, they were talking about uh, they were talking about two on NFL Live, and his uh, I guess his body type came up, uh, and and so Ryan Clark had had responded to I guess the conversation on that. Uh, this is what he said on NFL Live on uh, ESPN Television. Let me tell you what he wasn't doing. He wasn't in the gym. I bet you that. Come on, he he wasn't with me. He he might have spent a lot of time at the tattoo parlor. He was not at the dinner table eating what the nutritionist had advised. There was um, more, I I, I believe. Uh, There was more there. But basically alluding to the idea that uh, Tua didn't slim down, um, maybe gained a little weight in the process. Uh, your reaction to that, Hunter? How do you know that? <laughs> like, I, I, my older brother defense mechanisms are like blaring at a level ten right now okay. to defend Tua. Like, how dare a guy like Ryan Clark say something like that? He was a DB. He wasn't a quarterback. Uh, d- did we ever? Make a comment about Big Ben being Big Ben. No, we cared about him throwing touchdowns. True. Like, I don't... I'm sure Big Ben was brought up at some point, though. Like, if there's anything that we wanted from Tua, I'm speaking of the greater public and mainly the Miami Dolphins uh, fan base, Mm -hmm. they wanted him to gain a little bit of weight so he was less likely to be hip-thrown like in a... Uh, WWE ring, right? Um, what, like, how dare you say something like that? You have no idea his off-season uh, training, the 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 level that of commitment that he's put into completely changing his body right now. And man, I, I hope that this becomes a 
rallying cry uh, for the entire team, not just Tua, that uh, the media is kind of offhandedly going after their quarterback right now. I, I hope he goes out and just slays it this year. Um. Okay, I, I, I first off, I'm going to defend Ryan Clark a little. Uh, Ryan is actually one of my favorite analysts on ESPN because he he keeps things pretty real. Um, you know, his portfolio has actually grown. I mean, he's got the uh, Monday Night Football Countdown gig. He also has a podcast with Daniel Cormier, uh, DC and RC, uh, where they cover a lot of MMA. Ryan's popular, um, and you see him now. He's um, you know he's he's uh, having fun. And I appreciate Ryan having fun. Um, and that's, you know, I, I feel like that may be where this is kind of blowing a little farther than maybe it should. Because I don't feel like Ryan Clark was necessarily trying to, you know, throw Tua Tonga Vailoa under the bus. I hear, I hear the laughter. I hear, and, and you know, NFL Live has generally become a lighter show. Um, you know, with Marcus Spears, you know, Ryan's in, in the mix there, that I, you know, he, he may have gained a little bit of weight. Okay. Um, but I what, what I don't hear in that is Tua's I, – I, I didn't hear anything that I would consider um, Tua bashing. It seemed like it was – But they're laughing at the expense of him. Yeah, yeah. Um, True. Without him being around. That's the difference. Okay. So, uh, I know this is uh, not exactly the same thing, but I'm thinking back to whenever NBA on TNT, Charles Barkley uh, referred to uh, the women in San Antonio as being big old women down there. Yeah. Okay. So, he caught a lot of flack for that because, uh, you know, they're not around. But in some ways, it's a general statement, not about a specific person. Mm Mm-hmm. That, that that's where this the story is about Tua and they're laughing directly at Tua. That that's that's my my line in the sand right there. Mm-hmm. Is you can generally laugh at somebody, but I I would argue like have the person around to defend himself. Which is so, kind of unfair because it's TV. You know, it's 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 not like they can be there. And Ryan also says, and, and he may have a point here, um, responding to someone on on the X platform saying L O L O L the funniest part about this is the fact that I spent the entire pure analysis praising Tua for proving that if he's healthy, he can flat out do it and saying Miami has what they need to compete. But Miami fans are so used to defending him, they care about a joke in response to a comment about tattoos more. And honestly, I believe and not having heard the whole bite because we haven't really been given the whole bite and I yeah. don't watch ESPN television 24-7. Um you're not being given the whole bite in response. I believe that. Um, you know, I haven't heard a lot of criticism toward Tua Tonga-Vailoa. In fact, a lot more of what I've heard, regardless of analyst, has been along the lines of, um, you know, yes, can he stay healthy? Um, can he protect himself? And and generally, after watching that second preseason game, I thought the reviews for Tua were pretty good. Mm. Um, so... You know, I, I I tend to give Ryan Clark the benefit of the doubt because I tend to not believe that based on the conversation that it was to a ripping. It was more like, okay, 
you know, let's let's have a little bit of fun with them. You could hear you could hear the tattoo comment that was made in the background of that yeah. bite. Um, but I that, still even take that as a little culturally insensitive, actually, Josh. Okay. I'm going to pull that card because uh, who's to say he didn't get that uh, that you know uh, Samoan you know uh, tribal tattoo in one day. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think sure it's all in it's all in good fun. I I appreciate jokes. I appreciate the effort in jokes, but it doesn't seem like this guy knows really all that of what he's talking about um, in some of these uh, th- these comments, and I kind of have to side with an active player right now okay. who, l- l- let's be honest, Ryan Clark's job now is talking about active players. Right. And you're poking at someone who's currently playing, which Tua talked about that. The, the guy's been out of the league now for a few years. There's no real need to poke at guys who are actively doing it. Here's what I will say, and, and I I appreciate Tua's reaction. You're yeah. afforded the opportunity to defend yourself. You are afforded the opportunity, and I think he he took it, and I think he was he he was somewhat responsible. Um, I I think in his reaction, the only thing that I didn't like, and and yes, I'm going to nitpick a little bit, um, the whole keep my name out your mouth thing, um. I that's the only thing I wasn't a fan of because that's impossible. Uh, you are a currently a franchise quarterback. You are one of the faces of the National Football League, um, and your off season, whatever it is we're talking about, whether it is the jujitsu training, You're in whether the it is exactly, yeah, and you know I it is you know unless you are <laughs> Ryan Mallett. Just I'm throwing a random quarterback just to throw a random quarterback. Uh, unless you are Ryan Mallett, your name is not going to be out of people's mouths. In in fact, uh, it is going to be talked about on on every NFL Live on NFL Network. It's going to be there, and from now through January, exactly. And that is the thing that you unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, uh, you fortunately with your talent and your ability and your job will have to go through. And I think this is one of the few times that Tua has received criticism. Well, I mean, not even criticism. He, he, is, he has taken something as negative um, in a non-on-field way. And, and this is new for him, I think. Sure. He could have played with it a little bit more. He, yeah. He certainly could have. Um, and in the past, I think he has. Yeah, I think that's that's the other thing that I'm a little um, I, I'm a little surprised by. Now I I think there's a separation here, but like between classic media guys, okay, people who didn't play mm-hmm. um, high level of sports, and then there's guys who did. Yeah, and if you get guys that were previous players making comments as if they are now media people, that's where there's almost like this breach of an unspoken conduct between like brotherhood of f- former players, mm-hmm. like critiquing a, a, you just, you don't do that. And if there, there's a comment from a media guy, you can joke around and play with him because they don't know what it's like to train at a very high level. Yeah. Um. So, and Tua's not in a bodybuilding competition right now. He's trying to play professional football. So right. th- there's a lot of different ways to get your body in uh, in shape or ready for that that first game. So I 
I, I'm sorry, Josh. I'm I'm gonna side with Tua on this all day long. Okay. Yeah. Um. By the way, I didn't. I didn't. They didn't give us the entire Ryan Clark quote. Mm. Just you know, ESPN. We, the, the, they could. Um. He also said he looks happy. He is thick. He's built. Look. He's built like the girls working at Onyx right now. Close quote. Dang. Do you know what? <laughs> do you know what Onyx is? No. Um, from what I hear, because I was listening to Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy today. Okay. From what I hear, Onyx is like a gentleman's club. Oh, dude. <laughs> I, I just wanted to know if you knew, pretty much. Dang, so he, he threw shade at Tua like four different ways here. In, in a way. Yeah. Um, he also I don't was. Play, I don't fault to at all. He also, um, and by the way, Nick Hicks, uh, who is the trainer of, um, uh, oh, here we go. Ryan Clark told South Florida-based trainer Nick Hicks, he is Tonga Vailoa's trainer, said in a quote, as a person that has heard that joke about himself based on his glutes a ton of times, I was having some fun. Close quote. Hmm. Um, but yeah, now now you know what that is. Okay. We'll, we'll, I think you and I will never ever go there. No. But now you know what that is. Wow. Um, I, here here was the other thing I think I I, I took on Tua was that um, last year there was a point in time that you got like this um, chip on shoulder Tua. You remember that where it seemed like he kind of hit this new. Um, this new phase yeah. that something kind of annoyed him, like you'd kind of see it, right? And he also wasn't wasn't thrilled when uh, news came out about his uh, his girlfriend or fiance, and someone leaked that. And you know, he was a very private person. Uh, I remember it kind of being around that time where you're like, oh, there, there's an edge to this guy. Yeah, where otherwise he's been relatively quiet throughout his college and early pro career. Yeah. By the way, I can't believe that I did this. Um, I mentioned Ryan Mallett's name. He passed away. Yeah. He passed away back in June, and I, I had, n- I totally did not realize that. So I apologize. Um, Ryan Mallett's name just came up for whatever reason because it did. But uh, yeah, he passed away. So that probably was not the greatest on uh, on on my part. Um, and I'll I'll admit it right there. Uh, texter from the six seven six nine via our Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, tell us Samoan he looks like a girl. Good luck. Yeah. That yeah. And that, making fun of the tattoo stuff. That that that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. like th- there were some cultural lines here that I, maybe Ryan didn't intend on stepping over, but I'm I'm not letting him off the hook on on this. Like okay. all humor is a risk. And I, I think he yeah. stepped over some lines here. Yeah. Uh, Charles Barkley knows that all humor is a risk. Big time. That, but that's also why Inside the NBA was so popular, right? Because they took the risks. And even though it was controversial and he's had to apologize for a few things, it was entertaining. Also, comedic timing is everything, man. Like, yeah. Barkley's funny. So is Shaq. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, and those guys, they're. I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Like, there's a likability factor in that too, and I I watched the clip from from Ryan Clark, and it just I didn't resonate with it. So I kind of again I'm I'm siding with Tua with a few weeks away from the first game. I wouldn't I wouldn't be a fan of that. All but, right. 
But again, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. And uh, I do also agree with you, though, Josh. If you are a very well-known professional athlete in one ear out the other, mm-hmm. at least in front of the cameras, that there's a certain level of professionalism and etiquette that even if you got to put on a different persona to get through those things, you can show the media that doesn't bug you at all and then go and vent to your family yeah. or vent to your people whenever the camera's not around. Yeah. I, I think there's there's something to be said about that too. That's that's a really good point. I, I hadn't necessarily thought of it from that perspective. I think I was going a little bit differently, but that is a, a very good point that um, – you know, you are – you have the ability to kind of change the narrative. Yep. Honestly, the way he answered continued the narrative. If he if he had just kind of said, you know, whatever. Um, you squirted a little gasoline on it. Exactly. Yep. And I think he'll learn that um, because, again, I, I think he hasn't necessarily been in this position all that often. So this is – I think this is a – PR building block. Totally. Think about Belichick, right? <laughs> Where we'll, we'll criticize him for being on the other side of the spectrum, right. for giving the media nothing. Right. Or uh, a Jeter in the past where you, you would hardly ever get any emotion from him, almost borderline robotic. Yeah. Um, but in that, he was stoic and never budged. That's right. And so, I don't know. It just depends on how you want to be perceived. And uh, I think you're right. This might be a learning lesson. Your texts, your calls, 808-296-1420. Is there a side you take, or is there kind of a bigger picture to this? Uh, We'll get to that here in a little bit. It's Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. Sports Center updates coming up in uh, just a little bit. Uh, you can uh, text into us at uh, 808-296-1420. You can call into us at 808-296-1420. By the way, uh, over on our sister station, CBS 1500, 8-0 Yankees up on the Washington Nationals, bottom seven. Aaron Judge, three home runs. He's driven in six in this game. Hey, finally, the Yankees actually look good at something, uh, believe it or not. Um it, it's it's been kind of it. I I wonder what the reaction is. I mean, I I think generally here in Hawaii because two is our guy, right? Um, the reaction generally is we don't want anybody sliding against Tua, so you know he's one of our own. We're not going to let anybody go after him. Um, you know, we'll, we'll everybody in this situation will always side with 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 Tua over Ryan Clark. I I feel like in one of those rare instances, it's almost, I'd say, I shouldn't say 99% unanimous, but it, it feels like it's pretty close to that. Maybe I'm like on the other side, mm. but it feels like generally most people see Tua as the victim here, which kind of is a reflection of Tua. Hmm. Not necessarily. I, I don't say it's a reflection of Ryan Clark, but I think it's a reflection of the good graces that Tua has put himself in by being the face of a team that at the same time represents himself and his family well, that you can't say a bad thing about him because he has done enough to kind of present himself in, in the right way. 
Do you think there's a level, though? Do you think there's, to a certain extent, that anything can be spoken from the media? Or do you think, like, a guy like Ryan Clark needs to be held accountable? I don't think Ryan Clark needs to be held accountable. I mean, I, what, what do you hold him accountable for? Um, you know, having, having a little bit of fun? Maybe to some people it was... But he, he, you know, he didn't say. For instance, you and I are joking around right yeah. now. Let's just change the entire scenario. Let's do it. You and I are joking around, and uh, who, who's a friend of mine on the team? Okay, Ben Falk. Okay, Ben Falk, who is. But wait, our, we always make fun of special punter. teamers. Okay. I'm, I'm joking. Specifically, though, I say <laughs> yeah. Ben Falk has not been working out enough and looks a little thick. It's off-putting. Why you got to go there? Uh, now, obviously, this is funny because Ben Falk is like 6'7 and looks like a tree. He's yeah, super ben, skinny. Ben's not that. I'm, yeah. I'm sa- I said that as an example of a, a safe one that right, yeah. no one would ever think mm-hmm. would be a, you know out of pocket. But I just I personally wouldn't do it is, okay. is my point here, I, I, I guess. I think there's a, there's a difference between personally not doing it and something where, like, okay, is there a repercussion for it? Like, we've seen enough people that have been reprimanded for stuff that they have said. Sure. And I, and I think it's, like, far worse than anything like this. I think this is just like, hey, um, you're a former athlete. You said something. Okay. Um, your your blowback is the blowback from Tua and anything you get on social. You, you can't get punished for that by, by the network. I mean, it technically – it is still falling under the opinion of uh, of an opinion, sure. Um, which is which is what he's paid to do um, on on that show and on Monday Night Countdown. And his opinion is based on what he sees. Um, it's a little bit different, but I think you'll feel it when you hear the reaction. And he sees it. And and to his credit, if you want to call it that, he owned it. You did. Um, you you did. I'll he, give him credit for that. Yeah, he and, owned and it. He, it's his. It's his choice if he doesn't want to rescind the comments or anything like that. In which he said, "I'm not. I'm not going back on it. It was a joke." Yeah, he so. he responded to people on social on on the X platform. Um, you know, someone brought up Ben uh, Ben Roethlisberger, and um, you know, he said, "Wasn't wasn't this your QB?" To which he said, "Ben always had the dad bod." Yeah, <laughs> even before the kids, it was crazy. He was so athletic, built this way. Dude could play all sports too, but he certainly didn't care what he looked like. Though he was about function. LOL. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that's funny. <laughs> I don't mind that one. Okay. I don't mind that one. Built for function. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, and technically you're saying the same thing. Um, I think it's just it. I think it's how it was said. He said it on on X as compared to saying it on TV. He said it in a way in function as compared to responding to a joke on TV. Mm. So, yeah, I I would say, it, you know, he he owns it, but he also doesn't apologize for it because he he owns the fact that he said it. So mm. you you take it for what it is. We'll turn to uh, Hawaii's opponent in week zero. Uh, Vanderbilt, Andrew Allegretta is going to join us coming up on the other side of this. There's a key injury to talk about on the defense, and we have to ask about the stadium. It's coming up. You're listening to Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. Off the Bench, 
Hunter Hughes, Josh Pacheco, ESPN Honolulu. Thanks for making us a part of your uh, Wednesday. Today is Wednesday. I've been thinking it's a Thursday all along today. <laughs> Which, if it was, I'd be late for UH soccer. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I'm not here tomorrow. Tapping uh, my watch. Yeah. White PO, Josh. White PO, that's also uh, code for stoppage time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I my my head's been all over the place today. I, I, one, I, most of the day have felt like it's a Thursday. But that tells you how much closer we are to game day, that you just feel like Hawaii and Vanderbilt's right around the corner. So you can't wait to get that going. We are uh, less than three days away from the Commodores and the Rainbow Warriors. And earlier we spoke with Andrew Allegretta. He is the play-by-play voice for Vanderbilt. Uh, He was with us on our hotline. And I asked him to start, what's the difference between the team last year that, well, kind of rolled through Hawaii after the opening couple of drives and the Vanderbilt team this year? And this is what Andrew had to say. Man, that's an interesting question guys in part because the Vanderbilt team you faced in August I think uh was wildly different than the team that that beat Kentucky and Florida later on down the road in part because we we learned a little bit more about our identity as as a running team as the season went along I think the biggest thing that fans will notice as they watch this game is instead of having Mike Wright who was that very athletic scrambling oh we remember uh, <laughs> run first quarterback right the guy that ripped off i think it was an 87 yarder you, you don't uh, have to remind us about that okay okay, okay. <laughs> fair, fair enough <laughs> uh it was our longest play of the season so that was notable for us uh but we've got a pass first quarterback now aj swan who did see a little bit of time in the back end of the game last year uh but but we're going to be more I mean, I say traditional, right? We're not going to be a triple option type team where the quarterback is going to, you know, roll it out and maybe pitch or maybe run. We're, we're going to be in the shotgun. We're going to do the inside zone read. We're going to do the RPO, that sort of stuff. And it's going to run through a, a quarterback named A.J. Swan, who, again, played last year, but he is way more pass first than he is Mike Wright. It seems like Clark Lee um, has, has a bit more of his fingerprints firmly implanted on this team uh, as he as he enters another year as, as head coach. Where where do you feel like he's really starting to get comfortable uh, in his role as head coach and how that really kind of affects his group? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think Clark is a coach with a really strong sense of self. Like I don't think he is reaching to be somebody else. Like the knock on Jimbo Fisher is that he's trying to catch or be Nick Saban, right? Uh, Clark's not trying to be anybody but Clark Lee. Now, you need the talent and the skill and the acumen to back it up, but but I will say his confidence and his sense of what the identity of Vanderbilt football should be is definitely rooted now in this this group that they call Team 3. The best example I can give you for that would be the fact that I guess a couple of weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago after practice, he was talking to the team about making good choices on and off the football field, and he ended it with the fact that he told the guys, make smart choices to let this football team play 13, 14, or 15 football games. Not 12, right? So he's implying bowl game or beyond. And he says it, he speaks it, he believes it. He doesn't say, I hope we make a bowl game. It'd be nice to make a bowl game. He says, our goal is postseason play. 
So everything we do is going to help this team play 13, 14, or 15 games. And, and if you've got the confidence at the top, you can start to see the trickle down. Andrew Allegretta joining us, play-by-play voice uh, for Vanderbilt Athletics. He's with us off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. Andrew, uh, it's kind of more on the general side of things, but that's actually really interesting hearing those comments uh, from a coach towards his players in, without a doubt, the toughest conference in the entire country. Um, the, the fact that you guys were able to get, you know, five wins last year, honestly, is is quite impressive uh, w- with the recruiting battle that you guys have to go through on a year-in, year-out basis. Do you feel like, as a whole, you guys have the pieces to get that accomplished this season? You know what's interesting is, and I, and I would tack this on to the part about, and I think everybody agrees that, that five wins for Clark in his second year was a significant step in the right direction but and again this is Clark and this is him speaking his vision of Vanderbilt into existence five wins is not the goal so he, he has spoken publicly and you hang around a coach long enough you start to speak like them uh, his, his phrase is we're not going to celebrate mediocrity and, and that's that's his view of five wins it's mediocre so he doesn't want to get out there and fly the flag for five wins um, I think we externally can recognize the accomplishment, and it certainly was. I mean, they snapped a 26, I think, game SEC losing streak. That's a big deal, and you could feel the relief in that moment versus Kentucky. Mm. But, but to your point about getting to a bowl game, I don't, I don't see that there's, there's any hurdle for us from a talent standpoint to be a consistent year-in, year-out bowl team. I, I think what becomes inevitably challenging is the next gear up the ladder to a Georgia or Alabama or 10 win seasons or whatever like that sustaining that becomes really, really difficult, but being a team that is consistent within their six, seven or eight victories that, I mean, there's a, there's enough talent in the Nashville area alone. If you can keep them at home to get that done. You mentioned gearing up. Uh, the SEC is certainly gearing up with the whole conference realignment situation and adding on Oklahoma and Texas. And just from a curiosity standpoint, what's kind of the mood uh, with you guys there in Nashville, kind of around the SEC as well? Are you feeling any different about competition, that leveling up as a conference as a whole with conference realignment right around the corner? I don't know. That would probably be a good question for, um, you know, one or two drinks at the bar with a couple of coaches <laughs> if, they, if they give you a candid answer. We thought it was happy hour on the East Coast right now. Uh, it's, it is, it is evening. Okay. It is, uh, I've got, I've got, I'm sitting in my backyard, which is stifling hot at the moment. Um, I feel for your football team that is out here practicing. I really, really, I don't know the situation. I certainly hope they have some sort of indoor practice capabilities somewhere i don't nope. know it's smoking hot <laughs> yeah it is it is smoking hot and i'm staring at a hawk that looks like he wants to dive bomb me in my backyard um but anyway uh i i think what we feel internally right now with the chaos that's going on in college athletics and it will continue is that we're very very thankful to be a charter member of the sec nothing is promised forever but for right now our seat at the table is pretty firm now we have to continue to invest and be successful and 
who knows, right? Like if the if the inevitable next step of football separating and blah blah. I don't. I really don't know. I I, I have no inside sources on any of that stuff. But I know nothing is promised for forever. But for now, we're very very thankful for sure to have a seat at the right table. Let's talk about defense. Um, something that Coach Lee had announced uh, earlier this week. Darren Agu. Uh, defensive end is going to miss this game. He's considered week to week. Uh, how does that play a role in uh, in Vanderbilt's defense? I think it's a little bit unfortunate um, in, in the sense that one of the real bright spots of camp for Vanderbilt was the defensive line. Uh, it's a team last year that was last in the SEC in sacks. Uh, that Hawk just took off and made me a little bit nervous. Uh, it, it flew over the house. We're fine. Uh, <laughs> Uh, um, there's some rabbits in the backyard that who knows what they're going to do with this. Uh, <laughs> who who saw this conversation going here? We we, uh, we, we need a David Attenborough impersonation if you're going to do Planet Earth, my brother. Okay. Uh, probably would be unwise and would just <laughs> True. run okay. this okay. right right into the Pacific. Um, so. As far as the defensive line is concerned, it's been a bright spot, right? And Agu is part of that. A talented young defensive lineman. We're out. Uh, Christian James as well, who made one of the final sacks on Will Levis against Kentucky last year. So missing those two pieces erodes your depth, and that's a problem because the depth has been nice. We've rotated uh, players pretty well throughout the course of camp, and it, it was a bright spot for a team that was last in the SEC. And, and we don't have a great secondary. We've got good pieces, but not enough. Uh, so we needed the depth of the defensive line to get some pressure with four rushers to allow the linebackers and the nickelbacks and whatever to, to get back into coverage and help everybody out. So, uh, you know, I, it's, it's impact immediately. I, don't, I really don't know. We'll have to see it on the field. But, but eroding some of the depth is always, always, always an issue, especially, especially if you're anybody but Georgia and Alabama. Andrew Allegretta, the uh, play-by-play voice of Vanderbilt, joining us here off the bench. Uh, lastly for you, since uh, one of the topics of conversation has been the uh, football stadium, um, I, I, we, we're used to it, given what happened with Aloha Stadium. But uh, what what's the status of, uh, of Vanderbilt's home field leading to Saturday? Uh, first off, if, if I may, what is, what's the latest with the development of Aloha Stadium? Or, like, lack, that, or lack thereof. Uh, Aloha Stadium's going down at some point. Right, right. The, the reconstruction process or the, the redevelopment of the... Re, is, that, is that Has they made any progress on that? <laughs> very, a year ago? very, very little. Uh, we're looking at 2028, possibly. But more likely okay. 2029, 20, 2030. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. I, I hope for the best. Like I, I, This is going to come across silly, but like I have developed a genuine affinity for your athletic department and kind of the region in general, just because we've been out there so many times. I came out there years ago with a Charleston football program that played Hawaii and Hawaii just smacked us. And then we played you guys last year and the baseball team's been out there and the men's basketball program has been out there. I, I, I root for your success. Genuinely. Thank you. Andrew. Uh, as far as, yeah, as far as ours is concerned, it's a construction zone. It's an active construction zone outside the perimeter that has been established. But what I would note for fans in Honolulu and Hawaii watching is the people that are most impacted by this are the people in the seats, not the people on the field. Like, we've reconstructed 
fencing around the perimeter of the stadium that effectively acts like an outfield fence. It's padded. You can drive a shoulder pad into it. It's not going to collapse. So from a player's standpoint, it's going to be fine. And, and, And frankly, for the visiting team, one of the biggest sour points of our of our football stadium was a lack of space for the visiting football team uh in terms of locker room space well we've constructed what what basically amounts to a golf uh tournament hospitality tent with air conditioning and so on and so forth like right behind the football stadium so i actually think the visiting teams will have a better experience with the situation that we're in right now than they used to, because like, I think it was Dan Mullen when he was with Florida famously protested our locker rooms and he just kept his guys on the field at halftime, just trying to make some sort of stand. Uh, this year, you, there's a big old air conditioned tent. Like it's, it should be fine for visitors. Andrew, good to hear from you. Uh, have a good call on Saturday. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. This is this is, and I hope this continues. Like, if I can just come on your show for no good reason, the fact that I get to be on the radio in Honolulu, it's it's one of my highlights of the year. I, I genuinely, I genuinely mean that. Well, give us a call. Give us a call when your hawk is back in the backyard. That's right. right. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going back inside. I'm I'm not getting pecked <laughs> to death tonight. Appreciate it, Andrew. Thanks, man. Take it easy, guys. Yeah, and and when he says it's the highlight of his year. Like he's a genuine guy, he means it. I think so too. <laughs> that it's the highlight of his year to be on, uh, be on this radio show. Oh, I guess he didn't say this radio show. He just meant in Honolulu. I wish that Hawk uh, did some more action while he was on the air with us. You were just looking for noise, uh, something, right? Like because he would he would have reported on it as a as he a typical play by play guy would. Oh gosh, I was about I was about to do play by play of a of a dive bombing hawk. I know. And, you were tempted, and you weren't even there. And in from the skies comes Hank the Hawk. And he's pecking at my leg right now <laughs> as I'm r- r- running away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you have to um, – and, and then uh, you have to do the Mike Breen, though. So uh, – and, and just kind of the unfortunate bird situation. Here comes Hank the Hawk. He's flying in, flying in, and bang! The dropping's on my head. <laughs> And then you kind of continue on. See, see where you kind of, kind of, ha- you have to throw in the um, mainstream play-by-play lingo of uh, of flying hawks. But anyway, um, your takeaway from uh, from hearing what he said on Vanderbilt, I'll I'll, I'll take your offensive side of this because um, you, we've talked about running the football and making sure that Vanderbilt doesn't run it up on Hawaii. But um, the question seems to be, uh, can Vandy? air it out against Hawaii. Yeah, you know, the when when he said that their quarterback is more of a pocket throwing first uh type of a player, I don't know if you saw my reaction, but I, I started celebrating on this I side did. of the table. Yes. Because if they come out throwing against us, that is great news for our defense. Great news. Where the strength of our defense is in our secondary. Uh, Jordan Heller and I talked at length about that when we recorded Hawaii Football Now this morning. And if we can keep them away from using the strength and size of their massive offensive line to their advantage, it's going to bode well for Hawaii. Um, 
yeah, if if they want to go out and and throw the ball forty or fifty times, we we might get a couple of turnovers out of that. I think. So, I think you still got to find a way to put pressure though on the quarterback. I think that's the the one thing that I think for the most part everybody has had their concerns about is can you get can you force pressure from your defensive line? Mm. Yeah, and it, it may not be from our D line as much as it might be from our linebackers mm, and right. bl- and blitzing from depth. So th- there's different ways of getting that accomplished, but very difficult if they are already preoccupied with the run. So um both their uh, running back, who was a 1,000-yard rusher from last year, and that dual-threat quarterback from last season aren't there. Right. So um, that's certainly encouraging. And then the um, uh, before we go to break, the other surprising thing from that interview was the fact that that coach believes that they not only can compete in the SEC but could win a bowl game. And now I, I understand that every coach believes that and they're trying to motivate their team, but how could you – Take what he has seriously if you're playing on the bottom of the barrel in the SEC. Let's talk about that next because I actually have a theory on that. Mm. Uh, it is off the bench. Hunter Hughes, Josh Pacheco, ESPN Honolulu. Coming up, top of the hour, what happens to Trey Lance mm. now that he has been demoted to third string slash absent? Uh, that's coming up in about eight minutes. It is off the bench here on ESPN Honolulu. All right. Um, Vanderbilt's head coach, Clark Lee, believing his team could not only get to a bowl game, but to win a bowl game. Um, you think it's crazy. Or at least I, I hope I'm not putting the wrong words um, from your mouth. Your your words remind people. Keep my name out, out your mouth, Josh. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sorry, Tua. Um, you 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 don't think it's realistic, or why would you say something like that? Okay, I think along the lines, right? Um, without talking too much shade about Vanderbilt and the fact that they're on the bottom the bottom end of uh, the SEC because they handled us last year. They did. Let's not forget about that. But they won five games, five mm-hmm. games last year. And they also, I think he said that they beat Kentucky and Florida last yeah. year. So yeah. they, they won two games in conference. Um, just going through their schedule um, where they're going to need at least six wins to get an at-large bid into a bowl game. Okay. Um, first game against Hawaii. Chances are that one's going to be a win. Um, Alabama A and M, they'll probably win that one. Yeah. Wake Forest, that one's probably a toss-up. They're playing an ACC school, and Wake Forest is usually pretty tough. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Um, so it, it's tough to tough to say. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Uh. Do you want to give him that one, Josh? I'm going to give him that one. Okay, so they're three and zero. I'm feeling generous. All right, they're three and zero to start the year. UNLV. I'm giving them that one. All right, they're four and zero. Yeah. All right, so now they got to win two conference games. Yeah. So, Kentucky, Missouri, Florida, 
Georgia. Good luck with that one. Yeah. Ole Miss, Auburn, South Carolina, and Tennessee. They got to they got to get two of those. I can tell you uh, they will get Missouri. Okay. They need one more. I I just had it in front of me. Uh, I think that it's I, it's going to come down to Auburn I, or South Carolina. I, I don't think so. I I think it's going to I think it's going to be Florida. Wow. In Florida. I don't think they'll beat Kentucky. Kentucky's a, a much improved program. Uh, I give yep. Kentucky the benefit of the doubt this so year. So do I. Um, but if I if Florida's down, um, you know, we're going to have Florida uh, Utah coming up on uh, that Thursday of week one mm-hmm. right here on, on ESPN Honolulu. I'm, I'm a little scared uh, for Florida there. I think they're in Utah. Well, they lost their quarterback, right? Right. So I, I bring up their schedule just because. They're in a similar predicament as us in the Mountain West where things really have to go our way to get to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. So best of luck to them. I think they'll get there. Now, whether they win a bowl game is uh, is a little bit different. I don't know that they'll win a bowl game, uh, but it depends on the matchup. If they're, if they're one of the lower ones, they'll probably get something favorable. But... Um, you know, I, I believe that program, as Clark Lee continues there, I think they will be better. Uh, and I think it'll be a program you, you may want to pay attention to five years down the road. All right, Trey Lance. What's going to happen to him? That's after Sports Center. Okay. Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, Josh Pacheco and Hunter Hughes. What an all time miss, first and foremost, for the Niners. Think about how bad Trey Lance has to be that he's only played a small handful of snaps for them, and they're not even trying, like forcing the issue to make him the backup in order to save face. Like generally, you'll have these teams that continue to trot out bad starters because they don't want to have to admit they made a bad move. This isn't even that. This is just trot him out as a backup and like at least try to save face. They're throwing in the towel completely, completely for Sam Darnold, which I don't think a lot of people were surprised Darnold beat him out. But the idea that his career in San Francisco is going to be coming to an end with that little support from the organization to get him onto the field. Mind-blowing to me. They gave up three first-round picks to move from 12 to 3 to draft Off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. That was uh, Joe Fortenbaugh earlier on uh, Joe and Amber here on ESPN Honolulu uh, calling Trey Lance an all-time whiff by the San Francisco 49ers. You know, um, we'll we'll get into this a little bit more in a moment because I see what Joe is saying, right? I mean, you want to save face, but I actually appreciate more than anything else uh, an organization that says this isn't working, and instead of saving face, we're going to move on because we want to win. And um, I kind of get that from the San Francisco 49ers. So we'll, we'll talk about that coming up in uh, just a little bit. We were talking about Vanderbilt in the last hour. Andrew Allegretta joined us, their play-by-play voice. I think Vanderbilt could get to a bowl game this year. I think you believe, Hunter, they might fall a little bit short, maybe a game short. Yeah, I, I just it, – it's, it's tough to consider their success in the conference that they're playing in. Right. Um, where – each one of those teams is chomping at the bit for national significance on a yearly basis. And if you're uh, um, on the lower end with the teams like Vandy, like Mizzou, it's it's tough for them to get any kind of momentum just considering 
who the guys are that they're they're recruiting and the other SEC schools that are going after the same guys. John wants to chime in on this. John, how's it going? Hey, how you doing? Good job. Hey, I think you're you're missing. Uh... Oh, Bob. Uh, <laughs> right when he said, "Hey," uh... I was excited <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's. Right when you're missing, Liz is like, nope, uh, well, you're, they're not missing anything, John, John. if you're listening, give us a call yeah, back. We'd love yeah. to hear again from you. <laughs> I love that. You know what you're missing? The rest of the phone call. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, see, now the suspense builds, though. Yep. See, this is I, I am back. See, this is the way we played it, John. You don't, you don't realize this, but, you know, our job – is to we we tease we ice the kicker we that too we build suspense and so we create time spent listening by having people hang on just a few seconds longer to hang on to what exactly it was that you said so what what is it we're missing John I said I think that uh, Ole Miss is one of them teams that uh, that Vanderbilt could possibly win uh, to get their six wins for a bowl win oh you're actually giving I've been credit. with those guys. Well, I, I, I'm just saying I haven't been that impressed with uh, Ole Miss the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Even with Lane Kiffin coming over there, I mean, this will be his second season as their coach. Well, I don't know. I'm just saying I've, I've, I've not I've been underwhelmed by uh, Ole Miss the last few years. Mm-hmm. But uh, hey, by the way, about uh, the guy on uh, the 49ers, I'm spacing out. But they, they, people are saying they need three quarterbacks to make it through the year. So. Uh, I think they're going to keep them. But uh, anyway, that's another thing. But have a great day, guys. Thanks, Thanks John. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get more on that here in a second. Uh, <laughs> I, I've been underwhelmed by Ole Miss, too, but they're at Ole Miss. Yeah. Currently, the Rebels are a top 25 team. They're ranked 22nd in one of the polls. So and the, uh, I would consider them like Kentucky kind of being on the rise. Um, but that might be one of those – uh, borderline games that they would hope to do well at, but hotty toddy, it's tough to win in that place. Their their road schedule in the in the SEC is rough. And by the way, um, they don't play Alabama, so uh, fortunately mm. for them, their road schedule is at Florida, which I think will be the only road game they win in conference because they're in the East, right? They're not in the West. Yeah, I believe you're right. Yeah, um, at Ole Miss, at South Carolina. At Tennessee, they do host Georgia. Yeah, that's not going to matter. <laughs> uh, Georgia will will put up a, uh, a forty-five burger at least on Vandy Oof. in that game. Uh, Jamal, thank you for calling in. Jamal, how are you? Hello, gentlemen. It's an honor to speak to you. I was, I was checking ESPN's website. It looks like uh, um, Stanford, Cal, and SMU might join the ACC. If that happens. Do you see Washington State and Oregon State in the Mountain West? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jamal. That's uh, that's a, a big thing here today mm. because that has um, that has certainly built back up here in the last 24 hours. And to give some context here, uh, they're trying to round up the votes to get um, Cal and Stanford and SMU. But here's how they're trying to do it. SMU is trying to get out of the American, and their way of trying to do it is um, they won't take any television revenue for seven years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's good to get a lot of private donor money, you know? Yeah. Um, but in doing that, they believe that can help fund Stanford and Cal at a lower rate 
So they take less money than everybody else. They think they could get 20-plus million dollars from ESPN in order to kind of, you know, get them in and not divvy it up too much. And then on top of that, they're talking about, like, performance-based um, standards mm. for, um, you know, for, for payouts. For, yes. Yeah. Um, I think if it was not, I, I, I think the fact that it was brought up today, and Pete Thamel first reported from ESPN, uh, their college football insider. I think the fact that it was broken today tells me it will happen. Yeah. I think if they didn't have the votes, they wouldn't be talking. Mm. And uh, we wouldn't have another set of meetings and a potential vote. I think it may not happen today. I think we could find out by the end of the week. But this is certainly strategic um, you know, to get this stuff out in the open. By the way, we hear that the Mountain West is going out um, and they're going to go meet uh, Oregon State, kind of a meet and greet. Wow. Um, I caution the idea of Oregon State and Washington State automatically to the Mountain West. I caution that. And the reason why I do is they try to poach our players. That was a long time ago. But that was during your era, so I realize we don't forget. I realize you don't forget that. Yep. Um I don't know how much the Mountain West's television partners are and, and I think it does matter, are going to feel about Washington State and, and Oregon State. ESPN's ponied up money to or potentially I mean, well, they did pony up money along with Fox to get the Big Twelve expansion. ESPN's got the primary rights to the American. I wouldn't be shocked. The American nets, what, six or seven mil per school? Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if they ponied up a little more money. Not a lot, but a little more money um, to try to get Washington State and Oregon State to mm. go there instead of to the Mountain West. ESPN has no stake in the Mountain West. I don't think CBS and Fox are in the business of putting out more money for a group of five. But I could see ESPN trying to stay on the West Coast by by doing that. Hmm. You 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 package Stanford Cal. You've got the ACC rights. You've got the American rights, and and you package in there um, Washington State and Oregon State. Interesting. And I on, honestly, I think the American as of right now is the better conference. Um. You know, they they have more of a digital footprint, which I think matters. We've talked about teams in the American that have gone on to play in the college football playoff. Um, Tulane right now is yep. considered a team that could be in the New York New Year six. Uh, the Action Network's bowl uh, projections has Tulane as the top group of five. Hmm. Um, they I play during the week. Uh-huh. Which is very uh, advantageous. No, I think that's Conference USA. Oh, OK. Conference USA. Um, Mac, I don't know if the Sun Belt does, but I think you will see some Thursday, Friday American games. Okay. Um, but I, I do believe that you'll find, they'll find a way to steer them in that direction. And I think if you're Washington state and Oregon state, I think, um, I think you have to consider that, but I think you can play this, um, a, a different way. And here's what I would consider. If I were Washington State and Oregon State, here's how I'd do this. I'd look at the American as a football-only 
move. Or look at the Mountain West as a football only move. But I think I would I I don't think I would settle in the Mountain West. I would go to the American football only. Mm. I would take the rest of my sports, basketball, baseball, all the Olympic sports, and I'd float it out to either the West Coast Conference or the Mountain West. I really don't think the Mountain West needs those two for for, for all sports, but I think they'd be okay if they had them to to you know raise the portfolio on basketball, for example, because Washington State and men's basketball is not bad. Hmm. Um, they were just here. What a couple was it last year or two years ago for the Hawaiian Airlines Diamondhead Classic? Yep, I think it was it was last year. Um, you can add to your basketball portfolio, and then that would put you to thirteen. See, the big play is. You get Washington and Oregon State, if you're the Mountain West, that gets you to 13 non-football, and then you make your play for Gonzaga. You make your play for Gonzaga to get out of the West Coast Conference and join the Mountain West in every other sport because they don't have football. Now you're at 14. Hmm. And the Big 12 can talk about having a really good basketball conference. The Mountain West can come back and say, well, San Diego State, Gonzaga, Wazoo, Boise State's been good in basketball. New Mexico's been good in basketball. Um, UNLV's right on the doorstep, I believe. You can add that to your basketball portfolio, and that will look good for a conference that already gets multiple bids in the NCAA tournament. Hmm. That that's my uh, that's my Wazoo and Oregon State play. Okay. I I just I don't want. Hawaii fans or, or Mountain West fans to get their hopes up for something that could happen, but I, I, I think there's more competition than people think. I, I, I don't know. I mean, do you feel like if you know Washington State and Oregon State are, are additions on the football side? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, they would be additions by numbers, mm-hmm. but – from a competition standpoint, uh, it's it's not all that um, all that attractive. It's it's okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like they could come in without skipping a beat, but it doesn't feel like they're helping us elevate right. all that much. I feel like they could come in and be a middle of the pack Mountain West uh, couple of schools. Mm-hmm. Like they'd be right there in the mix with are seven, eight, and nine, you know, kind of kind of schools right there. But on a given day, I feel like Fresno could beat them. I feel like Boise could certainly beat them. Air Force on a good day could beat them too. Um, and I like our chances whenever we play those guys too. It's not like they're heads and toes better than us. So, I mean, from that point, uh, it makes sense that they would jump in, but I'm still on the side of how does this help us? Right. How does this help Mountain as, West? As as you should think about that. Yeah. And I mean, it, what it all comes down to, we have to remember that. What it all comes down to at the end of the day is, can you get more money to distribute to your schools? Because right. if you're, um, you're you're Hawaii, you've for the first time you've started to get television revenue outside of your Spectrum deal, and so I mean, you you got to cherish. Every bit of money that you get, Every penny. you've you've got to enjoy that for all it's worth. But once you start, once that starts getting picked away, 
because your pie is already smaller. Once that gets picked away, then it, it doesn't look good to you. Um, if you are Nevada, well, I, I'll, actually, I'll, I'll say New Mexico, um, uh, Wyoming, your schools that don't have a side deal, and you're thinking, okay, um, we we're not Boise level, and we're losing. Um, it's not it's not worth it. Because I don't like I said I don't know that CBS would pony up. I don't know that Fox would pony up to make that happen because I don't know what's in it for them. Mm. Once you do that, um, then you know then you have a little uh, a little bit of an issue. And I think you have to be sensitive because there is still the possibility if the ACC does not want Stanford and Cal, which I think will end up happening. Don't get me wrong. If the ACC does not want Stanford and Cal, the Pac-12 rebuilding with Mountain West schools and American Athletic Conference schools is still on the table. And I think it, it is that. So you're saying there's a chance. It, it, I, yeah, crazily enough, um, because it's still on the table, I think you have to be very careful. Don't push the wrong buttons. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I understand how tricky this is, but I also can look at it from Washington state and, and, and Oregon state standpoint and be like, Hey, well, we're desperate, but how desperate are we? And I think they've, they've got to look at it from that perspective. All right. Uh, we'll get traffic in here. Uh, some of your texts will get, we'll actually get to Trey Lance. That was the plan. Uh, at the beginning of the segment, oh, we got a, we got a lot of time uh, to get in on Trey Lance. He's kind of our um, third tier um, content, kind of like um, you know third tier quarterback. We've got more time in this show for Trey Lance than Trey Lance's time to see the field. Traffic here, it's off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. I'm not going to wait till the beat hits. Oh, but uh, at least a guitar. There it is. Seconds were precious. Perfect music for the Trey Lance conversation. I, I It just randomly was there. We didn't do that on purpose. Um, but Trey Lance, not only third string, he wasn't at practice today. He was, uh, he was absent after the decision was made. Um... I I feel like this is a 49ers situation in which you have to win this year. Um, you know, you, you've set the bar. You've raised the expectations. You can't play around anymore. No. Uh, you don't have the leeway to wait and to hope that he can be healthy and get on the field that Purdy earned it last year. What's the point of wasting him as a backup if he's not going to play? You've given enough time. See what you can get for him. If they weren't a winning franchise, I think you could take the chance. I, I don't think the Niners could do that anymore. No, it it feels similar to your Green Bay Packers from maybe like three years ago, um, the last couple of That's years right. with McCarthy, like where the, the the question literally becomes, you know, is is Shanahan 
the guy. You know, I think everybody comes into question whenever you've got unquestionably one of the best skill and talented teams in the entire NFL, but can't quite get it done. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been the, the feeling of the, the Niners for the last couple of years is they are right there, can't get over the hump. And right now, the Achilles heel, we talked about this in the break, was the quarterback position. Yep. I, I think the, the benefit for Trey Lance, he got enough looks in the, in, in the preseason, and he didn't look bad. Um, I won't say he looked great, but he didn't look bad. That's right. He was, he was fine. He was, he was more than passable. Mm-hmm. You get looks that makes you believe that a team will want him, and if the Niners trade for him or if they just straight out cut him, he's going to find a home. He will. And look what happened to Baker Mayfield. After the the Browns moved on from him, he got somewhat of a role over in Carolina and then somewhat of a role uh, coming in for relief for Stafford over on the Rams and mounted that unbelievable fourth-quarter comeback. And now he's the starter for the Buccaneers. So I bring that up where Trey Lance has athleticism going for him, has his youth going for him. He's still very young and a monster arm. So it may not work out over there where the Niners don't have the time to rebuild. They need to win right now. Sports Center traffic right now, ESPN Honolulu. So, Trey Lance ends up where, I, I think, is is the next question we ask. Is he still a San Francisco 49er? Is the emergency number three quarterback? Do the Niners trade him? Do they cut him? Um, and maybe more importantly, is there a team that could use or take a chance, I guess, uh, on Trey Lance, Hunter? So, I guess the the question here is what what do the Niners think that they can get for him, number mm-hmm. one? And then number two, from an evaluation standpoint, do you feel like he's a starter in the NFL right now or a need to prove himself back up? Where, where would you slate him? I don't, I don't think I'd look at him as a starter um, anymore. Uh, I think if you're looking for value, yeah, you're, you're definitely talking about him as a guy who's a, a backup. Yeah, I, I would agree with you that the – Pre-draft hype over him is gone. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, after the injury, now the question is, can you perform at that um, projected hype that Mel Kuyper Jr. shoved down our throat two years ago? But he was right. I mean, sure. Sure. (laughs) You don't agree? I just, I still wonder with specifically guys from North Dakota State, why they freak out about guys like that where if they really were that great why weren't they playing at a power five school or just another you know what i'm saying uh-huh. where you, you you are playing n1 AA football and then they act like they're the second coming of christ and that they automatically can come in and make a difference in the league carson wentz is looking for a job right now he had a few good years. Okay, I'll give him that one. I don't want to throw him too far under the bus. But this whole you know, adage of North Dakota State being you know, QBU, I, I just 
I don't buy into it. I first off, I don't look at North Dakota State as an FCS, even though they are. Um, the the way that they win, um, they're successful. Um, they they compete like an FBS squad and occasionally beat them. Um, I think it's their style of offense. They you know, they have recruited. Um, I guess Carson Wentz being the exception. Athletic quarterbacks. They have. Um, their offense puts up points, I okay. think maybe is the best way to put it. And because that offense puts up points and wins championships and gets to the playoffs, they have a real playoff in the FCS, that you get more looks uh, at quarterbacks that play there. And you could argue maybe their numbers are inflated by that offense. But I don't think Kuiper was wrong necessarily. I think this is a an injury situation that you could have never saw coming. Sure. That did ultimately ruin Trey Lance's career because he, he will not be the same from this. Sure, and to Kuiper and guys like him and McShay's defense, all of that pre-draft hype is not guaranteed. Yeah. Much like the contracts that they offer these guys. Right. Very few, very small percentage of it is actually guaranteed. Now, back to where we would slate him in his value right now. If he is a backup in the NFL, what team could you see him adding some value to as, you know, as a backup, as an athletic quarterback? What other quarterback could you see him emulating? Um, I'd like to see him in Green Bay. It's funny you said Green Bay. I was thinking either Green Bay or Chicago, uh-huh. actually. I could see him backing up Justin Fields from, again, the, the college tape that we, we have on him. Because that's pretty much all we have. Yes. Other than some preseason stuff and a little bit of time last year before he got hurt. That's all we really have of this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a similar skill set to that of Fields and Love up in Green Bay. Absolutely. Um, but I, I also think in more so love situation, which is why um, I, I thought of Green Bay, love's got something to prove. Trey Lance is something to, uh, to, to prove, even though, I mean, he's been anointed the starter and we kind of saw that come in anyway. But put two quarterbacks in the same quarterback room mm. that – can make each other better. Both have a chip on their shoulder. Love waited for several years. Create the competition. Um, exactly. Lance can get better from that. Um, it, it doesn't hurt. Uh, you know, Lance's value right now is is minimal. But look at Green Bay quarterbacks. There haven't been many of them um, in the last twenty plus years. Mm. Matt Flynn got an opportunity after having a monster game. Uh, and then ended up going to what Seattle, I think it was, for a short cup of coffee, and then that died down. Um, quarterbacks get opportunities to succeed. Quarterbacks do succeed in Green Bay. And if you want to reignite Trey Lance, whether it is for your team or ultimately for someone else, Green Bay has proven uh, in the last couple of decades that they can be that team. Would you put Houston in a similar category to that where C.J. Stroud – is uh, still in a kind of a place of hasn't proven himself yet, and you put a guy like Trey Lance behind him, and you are also creating maybe that quarterback competition in there. Hmm. Um, one thing Houston has had, they have, well, they have used a lot of backups yes. <laughs> in, in the last few years. 
Um, I'm trying to remember who they. Oh, Davis Mills. Yep. The no, neck. they don't. They the don't. Neck. They have Davis Mills and they have Case Keenum behind C.J. Stroud. I think they're fine. Mm. Um, I would honestly, I'd rather have either of those two at the moment. If they've in Case Keenum's been around, Davis Mills was there last year. He's got significant experience, so I, I, I think Houston's probably not a team I would consider. Okay. Uh, what about? Uh, I'm going to throw another one out. Arizona Cardinals. They've got a couple of uh, long veterans behind Kyler Murray, uh, Colt McCoy, Colt McCoy, yeah. Clayton Toon. So neither of those two guys have much of any dual threat capabilities behind Kyler Murray. Mm-hmm. I uh, and Kyler's out right now. Yep. Maybe. Um, but I, I feel like that would be a potential short-term thing, like as a number three quarterback, just to be there to, you know, in, in case something happens. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I see Arizona potentially as that place. Well, and with that, as a number three quarterback, as a backup option, do the Niners not trade him away? Do they keep him around for that purpose right now? Because what kind of leverage does he even really have it i don't think he has the option to you know play hardball and sit no. out or anything like that so he can't really do much it's it's all up to the niners front office what they want to do with him texter from the uh, 636 via our zephyr insurance text line uh texter sees trey lance in tampa which, by the way, uh, as you said, um, they just announced Baker Mayfield as their starting quarterback. Uh, he had to beat out Kyle Trask for that. That's right. Now, I I like their optimism, but it's kind of clear that Tr- Kyle Trask is their quarterback of the future that right. they're trying to groom. Baker's kind of a placeholder till that till that kid is ready. Um, also, anytime you can play the quarterback from Gainesville. <laughs> In Florida, for a pro team in Florida, it bodes well for your fan base. So I could see that, but also I could see if they did move Trey Lance over there, he'd be in the exact same boat that he is in in San Francisco. Yeah, I I think the point that I think you and I are both making, there's not a lot of options right now. I mean, there's a few teams that I think would make sense, but a, a lot of other teams I think have done a decent job of improving their quarterback depth. I think the thing about the league that teams for the most part are understanding quarterbacks get hit quarterbacks get hurt. How often does a quarterback now play 17 games in a year? You still have them, um, but not all of them do because defensive linemen and linebackers and even secondary guys blitzing, they hit, they hit hard. Even load management stuff when they kind of shut down, um, Jalen Hurts last year when the Eagles had the the first uh, first round buy all sewn up, they didn't even play those guys. Right. Um, speaking of Eagles, in comparison to this Trey Lance situation, Marcus has it made. Marcus easily could have been in a situation like Trey Lance. True. Like compared to what has transpired for Trey Lance. Like, I'm thrilled for where Marcus is at at this stage in his career. I'm happy for the guy. It could be tough for him if he doesn't make inroads ro- inroads, uh, inroads <laughs> as compared to outroads. Let's not put, it, or, uh, let's not put a, an H in front of that. 
Oh, as compared to steroids. Yeah, there we go. Um, he's he's made some inroads, uh, or he needs to make some inroads. I think in the next couple of years, if he wants to keep that that ability to be a number two quarterback or be viewed as that, because that is ultimately his career now. Also, that is the best job in professional sports. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Backup quarterback. Just I'm ask, telling you, man. Just ask Chad Henney, who's got oh, a couple yeah. of Super Bowls as a backup behind uh, um, uh, uh, Mahomes yep. in Kansas City. Garoppolo, and can retire. Hey, Garoppolo and Brissett had glowing reputations just for backing up Brady. Yeah. And Ryan both of those guys still have jobs. Fitzpatrick, another one. That, that is not a bad gig. I yeah. don't care who you are. It's free money. Yes. That's why I think teams who figure it out. Like, I look at, at Tennessee. Uh, Malik Willis got some time last year. He's backing up Ryan Tannehill. But Will Levis, the rookie's there, too. Brock Osweiler. Remember him? He got paid. Yeah. Right after backing up Peyton Manning. They thought, oh, my gosh, he's the man. Nope. No. <laughs> he's on TV now. There we go. Um, you know, San Francisco signing Darnold was a great, um, example of how much they recognize how you know how much you have to have competition for the backup. Yep, you can't skimp on the number two anymore. Um, you mentioned Tampa Bay, and I, I thought that was uh, a, a really good example. The Rams uh, behind Stafford, Stetson Bennett is there. Brett Rippon, who's a veteran, is there. Those names might not be amazing names to some people, but Bennett's an old man. Um, (laughs) Rippin's an old man, but like truly an old man. Uh, Um, you know, they've, they've taken the liberty to, to get a few quarterbacks, four of them to be exact on their, on their offense. I didn't think about it till now. That is a Georgia quarterback room right there. That's, that is true. Stafford and, and Bennett. Yeah. That's crazy. Brett Rippin from Boise State. Kind of kind of messed hey, that up. Hey, Mountain West, baby. That's that's right. Uh, and you're, one of the other notable Mountain West quarterbacks is, uh, well, was the offensive coordinator uh, there in Dallas, Kellen Moore. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, Trey Lance now just has to show wherever he goes or if he's still in San Francisco um, that he can be healthy and and more importantly, be healthy and and make the plays when necessary. But he can't show that. Uh, if he's going to be absent from practice, he's not going to be able to show it. Um, so every opportunity he gets, if a team wants to bring him in a tryout, that's got to be his time. And if he by chance is listening to uh, ESPN fourteen twenty right now, um, now's not the time for your ego to get in place of being a good teammate. This is when other front offices are paying attention to what you're doing as it's being documented. Yeah. As they consider potential, potentially uh, trading to have you on their team now. So if I could speak to Trey Lance, put the ego on the side. I know it's been a tough couple of years. Play your cards right and you could end up on another team. And it's not over just yet. You know what I'm saying, Josh? Like, yeah. Take these next couple of months and really think on just being thankful for where you're at. And it may not be over just yet, but it might be if you let the ego cash checks that you can't you can't deliver. Well, on. I'm I'm glad you said that because Trey Lance missed practice, not because of injury. Of course not. As Mike Shanahan admitted, or Kyle Shanahan, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of his dad. Yeah. 
Lance missed practice because he was upset about the news from their conversation in the morning. Cry me a river. Yeah. He says, Honestly, cry me a river, man. I I can't stand the egos of pro players. I can't. You feel like he should have been there. He 100%. What was that saving line? If, if you're, for, Force me to play you. Force me to play you. He could have played better. And he, and, and he credited Donald. Donald, Donald, Donald looked, looked better. better. Yeah. And I and I think that's that's fair. But um, the coaches are concerned about their job security. But you know what Kyle Shanahan also said? He they're not giving up on Lance. He would love for Trey Lance to still be a member of the San Francisco 49ers. There you go. Um and so he may be saying the right things in the media, but clearly Trey Lance I think is there it, his First few years in the league have been nothing but frustration. Um, Kyle Shanahan's probably looking at emergency quarterback practice squad guy, but I'm with you. I mean, you have to show a little more poise than to be upset about a situation and be excused from practice. You know what I think every NFL team should do in the offseason, which is lengthy? There should be a mandatory outreach trip to a third world country somewhere. And they volunteer, whether it is in, um, you know, a, a home for orphan kids, uh, a soup kitchen somewhere, like outside the United States. Okay, uh-huh. not only would it bode well for the brand of NFL and whatever team that they're playing on, it would provide unbelievable perspective to each of these guys who make millions of dollars that it's not always about them. It would help so much. Like if I changed positions right now with Trey Lance, okay, I'm still in an office of the 49ers, by the way, talking with Kyle Shanahan, the coach of the 49ers. Keep it all in perspective, man. You were at North Dakota three years ago. Yeah. Just keep it all in perspective. I, I, I think guys at that level would benefit greatly from just a dash of worldview perspective, Josh. Texter from the 348 kind of goes along those lines. He uh, says, and I quote, or he or she says, and I quote, people who feel bad for Trey Lance have it all wrong. If you want to pay me a few hundred thousand dollars to walk around with a clipboard, I'll do that all day long. 100%. I'll I'll do that too. Um, You can just give me a blank clipboard with nothing on it. Let me doodle on it all day. Just don't have Josh jump out of a plane because he he won't do it for no. I any will not. Money. I will not. I don't know how we got here again, but I will <laughs> not. I will not jump out of a plane. I will not jump out of move of a moving train. No bungee jumping. No bungee jumping. Not a lot of jumping involved. You know. You know what doesn't help, and this is kind of a serious story actually. But you know what doesn't help? Did you see that news? I um, did not. Doesn't even tell you what the news no, was yet. But. Um, <laughs> I forget what country it was, but there's a town that's remote and kind of away from a school. And so their kids have to be sent to school on like a cable car. Oh, yeah. In uh, South America. Yeah, one of those countries. I saw a documentary on that. So what happened was... They they like clear a canyon. Yes. Doing a zip line. One of the lines snapped. Oh, no. And there were six kids... On that, That's they saved brutal. them. They saved them. The it, it didn't fall. 
It was hanging, and they had to make a daring rescue. With, like, a helicopter or something? Um, it was a helicopter. This is, like, in the middle of the Amazon jungle, Something guys. like that, yeah. It was with a helicopter, um, and then the helicopter had trouble because the the, the propellers it made it worse because it would make the, the thing. Right. Yeah. So somehow um, some of the volu- or some of the, the community members, they created kind of – well, not created, but I guess they went along the line themselves – and save those kids. Their they ages climbed are, out there. I, I, to they help got, them. They got on the cable car, and or not the cable car, but they they went on the line themselves and wow. went out. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, yeah, uh, that, Josh that wouldn't was, be anywhere near the cables. Is no, what we're saying. I I couldn't. But and but you see a story like that, and and first off, you think. Uh, you know what a job by those those big you know, time because that that's your kids. And it shows how much you'd be willing to do for your kids, um, which is amazing. Secondly, I I just could not get myself on one of those you know one of those cable cars or anything. Even like it, I, I've never skied, but um, ski slopes. Oh yeah, I don't think I could do that. Oh dude, that's so fun. You it's, not, like, it's one of my favorite things. You have no idea my lack of coordination. Y- you have no idea how gradual some of those hills actually are. Don't you'd, you'd don't. be fine. Uh, you'd be fine. I'll think about that while we play traffic. <laughs> it's off the pen. She has in Honolulu. Oh, there we go. What happened there? You know, you know what song this is. It's the end of the world as we know it. Which, which goes along with our conversation. Very much so. Uh, texter from the 223. I may have missed the conversation a little bit, but would uh, Jay Pacheco go down a zip line? No. It is the end of the world as we know it if I would go down a zip line. Heck no. Only if that was the only way you could survive. Oh, you'd be forced to, wouldn't you? I would love to hear you scream. No, you don't. Sports Center's coming up. Traffic as well. Coming up, more of what people seem to, uh, man, seem to wonder. Would Josh die? (laughs) I mean, that seems to be what it comes out to all the time. I love this stuff. Would he go down a zip line? Hell no, I wouldn't. Nope. Um, But there have been been some good ones uh, that have come in. One, including you, and actually on a a conversation that we had – during the commercial break, mm. I I think, you know what it is? We talk about it enough. I think people want to see me scared. Yeah. It's it's sick. I don't know if it's sick. It's just there's something really comical about hearing someone scream for their life. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever screamed for my life. Um, you know, again, I'm someone who's never broken a bone. Uh, yeah, I wasn't like didn't play football, so clearly didn't get scared for my life there. Um, I did have maybe this is like my life saving moment. So when I was younger, I want to say I might have been like eleven or twelve. Uh, we were going down one of those little trails at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. Okay, 
and this was my grandfather and his then wife didn't last long and so it's kind of a narrow dirt trail but there's a there's a drop on the side because the um uh the caldera is, is down there i'm not paying attention because you know i'm 11 12 years old how many of us 11 12 year olds pay attention I'm starting to make my walk toward going off the path. And my grandfather's then wife grabs my arm and makes sure I don't fall off the path and fall down to where there's like trees and, you know, it's it's hardened uh, sure. lava rock down yeah. there. That is probably the closest I have been to uh, uh, staring down something pretty serious. That's scary. Yeah, that's scary. I I have lived very conservatively. It's okay. Um, but yeah, we we've we've got texts on this. Uh, well, I, I've I've lived dangerously enough for both of us. Well, you're a quarterback. Quarterbacks live dangerously. Well, not only that, man. I mean, I I did uh, three years of nonprofit mission stuff between high school and college. That's right, like, all over the world, man. Uh, there was one time I was on a bus in. Uh, the Himalayas in Nepal, and these uh, these guys took our seats on the bus, and me and my buddy look at each other like, what are we supposed to do? And the bus driver, through broken English, told us that we could sit on the roof. Oh, and the roof it was where they strapped down all the luggage. So we are grabbing onto the luggage on top of this bus, which is in the Himalayas on like hundred foot cliffs down to a river oh. whipping around the edges of this thing. And we are literally holding on for dear life on top of this. And it was awesome. It was so fun. It was awesome. Okay. Until we got to a village with low hanging power lines. Oh. And the guy who was at the front of the bus, again, he doesn't speak any English, is is yelling back at us. And motioning for us to lay down on the bus. Lay down, lay down. And so we lay down, and the power line hit my nose. Oh, no. A little shock This there. is a live power line. Live power line. It could have been so much worse. It could have. Wow. So, yes, I've, I've lived dangerously enough for both of us. I, I guess I, I, my initial thought when you said you laid down, like you laid down on your stomach. Uh, you know, I was you're, sitting you're, down. Your and, nose does point up. Yeah, well, and I, you and I both know <laughs> I've got a big nose. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I was sitting. Okay, I'm sitting there, and then I see this guy motioning for us to get down, very like hyper and aggressively. Yeah. And then I see the power lines, and so I just get down as fast as I can, and then my nose gets sparked by the. Uh, the low-hanging power line. You know what our new friend George Gusman would have said about that, right? About laying laying up instead of laying down. Five-yard penalty. No, he would have said, you utterly butchered it. Utterly butchered it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh, the text messages. We'll get to those in a little bit on our Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, we go to our, uh, our phone line. Uh, earlier today, we talked with Nick Shipkowski uh, from uh, Fighting Irish Wire from USA Today Sports. Notre Dame is really the only top 25 team playing this weekend uh they play in dublin ireland and um we we asked nick earlier today we started right at the quarterback position sam hartman's gonna get the start 
for Notre Dame, and uh, we asked him to really kind of take us through Sam there. So Sam is veteran quarterback who had a heck of a career at Wake Forest before transferring to Notre Dame this past offseason. And, I mean, you look at his numbers, and if you know anything about ACC football or Wake Forest football, yeah, not necessarily a traditional powerhouse, but one that's been a respectable program here for a little bit of time under, under, under Coach Clawson and what they've done there. But Sam Hartman's been about as prolific a passer in ACC history. That goes up there with, with the Phillip Rivers and, and anyone else. I mean, he has more touchdown passes than anyone else in ACC history. And it's an interesting ad for Notre Dame because – Okay, Sam Hartman doesn't project to be a first or second round NFL draft pick most likely, but he's a name that's going to get called in all likelihood. And he's a guy that can deliver a ball down the field. You look at Notre Dame's offense a season ago, and everything was within five to seven yards of the line of scrimmage or throwing to the tight end Michael Mayer that the Raiders ended up drafting early in the second round. They could not get the ball downfield, and that's because quarterback uh, Tyler Buckner got hurt in week two and the lack of receivers, and the backup quarterback, Drew Pine, did everything that he kind of physically could. He just didn't have the physical capabilities to push the ball down the field. Hartman has that, and just that ability alone makes it such a more intriguing offense instead of having to try to dominate the line of scrimmage and get away with, get, have to be so creative to do so much offensively just to, just to kind of get the average. This one has the potential to be pretty stinking special, and it's, it's large part due to Sam Hartman. Was this his job as as soon as he transferred in? I mean, I know you know Kenny Minchie came in from Tennessee. Uh, I mean, it could be some time before you see five star QB CJ Carr. But when when Hartman made that decision to go to Notre Dame, was it did it seem like it was his job right then and there? Yeah, Tyler Buckner was the quarterback that got hurt at the start of last year, the second game of the season. And when Hartman came in, I uh, Buckner said all the right things. Went through spring camp, said all of the right things of. I here to compete, here to do this. Marcus Freeman didn't con- declare a winner in the quarterback competition all through spring camp. And then after the blue-gold game, the annual spring game between the, uh, the Notre Dame scrimmage there, Hartman looked great. Buckner looked like his head was not in the stadium that day. And two days later, Buckner announces that he's entering the transfer portal. So it seems like the writing was on the wall. It seemed pretty obvious that even though Marcus Freeman wouldn't declare a winner in the in, in the quarterback race, it seemed like the writing was on the wall there for Tyler Buckner to be looking elsewhere, and he ended up choosing Alabama. And it seems like the coaching too, right? I mean, there has been kind of a a shift offensively, you know, working with QBs uh, that that kind of helps there too, right? Hey, it should. It really should. I mean, you look at what and Brian Kelly did a lot of things right at Notre Dame in terms of developing a successful and winning football program. But you can't tell me that the quarterback play was anywhere near the level it needs to be to compete for a national championship these days. I mean, you look at it, and Stetson Bennett even last year for Georgia, the last two years for Georgia, okay, he wasn't this big five-star guy, but he ends up being a middle-round draft pick with the, with the Rams, and seems like he's going to be a guy that's going to stay in the NFL for a decent amount of time, even if it's not necessarily a starting role. Like, you have to have one of those guys. You, you can't get it. Gone are the days of, like, the... A.J. McCarrens and John Parker Wilsons and whoever else from Alabama being able to guide teams to national championship games. Like, that's just, it just isn't the way that the game works anymore. And Notre Dame's been lacking there. I mean, nothing against Ian Book. Ian Book did just about everything he physically could with his body. But Ian Book wasn't that kind of elite quarterback in college. He was an exciting quarterback, but his inability to really push the ball down the field 
withheld him from being able to do some special things. And Sam Hartman seems to be a guy that can do a lot of those things that Notre Dame hasn't had someone capable of doing that for. I mean, you're talking, you're talking at least Jimmy Clausen, if not Brady Quinn. Nick Shepkowski joining us, uh, Fighting Irish Wire from USA Today Sports. He's with us here on Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, I grew up a Notre Dame fan, my brother, and so uh, the entire time I've watched Notre Dame from my childhood, it's almost been a stereotypical Midwest pro-style offense with the addition of Gerard Parker as you guys as offensive coordinator um, and uh, Coach Freeman. It certainly is kind of a turning of the tide. Um, along with Hartman at quarterback, do you guys feel like you have um, the pieces in place to kind of spread the field and elevate this offense to a point of being able to compete on the highest level? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a lot different looking for sure. Now, with that said, a lot of the bodies that are going to be counted on to make that difference and present a different offense are younger bodies, are freshmen, are redshirt freshmen that will be called upon in order to do that. Um, Notre Dame has not recruited the receiver position well in recent years. That's changed. Uh, former Clemson standout a wide receiver, Tansy Stuckey, is Notre Dame's wide receiver coach, and he has really overhauled that position group um, in his two years now that he's been at Notre Dame. And you're seeing guys, Jaden Greathouse is a name to keep, keep out for. Uh, he had a great spring game, but he's going to be one of those possession receivers, 18 years old, walking onto campus and going to be fighting for playing time right away. Rico Flores, the same kind of story with him. Um, Notre Dame is doing some things there at the receiver position and in the running back room. That I think that the running back room, under their former, former running backs coach, um, oh, forgive me, he just took the job at Western Michigan, Lance Taylor, who had coached at Stanford, had coached Christian McCaffrey with uh, the Carolina Panthers. Um, it took a step in the right direction, but then Dallin McCullough came from Indiana. He had had some ties to the Kansas City Chiefs as a running back coach when they won their first of their recent Super Bowls. Uh, he has really upped the ante in terms of what the, what the recruiting level is at the running back position. Stuckey's doing it at the receiver position. It's a different look offense. I mean, I think it's still going to be based on dominate the line of scrimmage. That's what Notre Dame is historically always been it's kind of it's as much of an offensive line you as any other team in the country that you that you can say and it's always going to kind of be built around that but that's not to say that they're not going to be throwing the ball around the field a little bit uh, probably a lot a bit more um kind of like you look at like charlie weiss's era it was okay a lot of things were built in terms of the running game or in the passing game but ultimately, the running game was what set up a heck of a lot of that. And Charlie Weiss didn't win a ton of games the last few years, but his offenses did produce at very high levels throughout. Uh, Sam uh, Hartman also is uh, throwing around uh, some Beats headphones to his teammates after that NIL contract. And I'm just curious, did uh, he throw any uh, pairs of headphones to you guys over at the Irish Wire? <laughs> no. No, I didn't. You know, I... I don't know what the deal is. I don't know where my pair is. You got to talk to him, man. I, I, I know. What the heck? I need <laughs> the blue and gold special edition ones. I don't. I'm sure he got them. I'm sure they just didn't land in my hands yet, or land in my lap yet. I'm sure it's just. I don't know. I, I'm sure it was hard to ship them all and then get them all to the team before they had to get on a plane a couple of days later to get to Dublin. So I'm sure mine are on the way. 
You know, we got to talk about defense. Nick Shepkowski is joining us, uh, Fighting Irish Wire from USA Today Sports. And there's a couple of guys uh, on the Hawaii, uh, on the uh, Notre Dame defense from Hawaii now that the two deeps are out before that Navy game. Jordan Botello uh, and, uh, and and Maris Liefau, uh both listed as ones there on the defense. Talk about those two, both seniors, both have risen up the ranks there at Notre Dame. Yeah, Botello we'll start with. Um, he replaces Isaiah Foskey, who... Um, graduated this past off this past season, left as Notre Dame's all-time sack leader, and what you're going to see from him is a, a guy with high, very high expectations. He has to replace an all-time great in terms of Notre Dame edge rushers that are able to get after the quarterback, and the expectations are very high for Batello. Um, I, I thought it was interesting. It's a spring game. It's a scrimmage. It's not the you don't take a ton away from it. But going into that, that was one of the key things was, okay, well, I'm curious to see how he see how he plays in this new role. And literally the first play of the game, he is in the backfield, makes a, forces a fumble. And I, I think that if you tell me the type of season that he has, I'll tell you the type of season Notre Dame's defense has. They need somebody to be able to get after the quarterback. Their defensive line took a step back last year, had some struggles last year. And they need really a leader to emerge, somebody to regularly get after a quarterback that, that Foskey was able to do the last couple of years with Notre Dame. And Batello's is as good an option for that as any. Now for Maris Leofau, he has been a player that it's almost been one of those you hear a ton about, and it's, oh, well, in practice, oh, my goodness, he's tearing it up, he's doing this. He dealt with some injuries early in his career. But last year you heard so much of, oh, he is just, I, he's unstoppable, plays with his hair on fire in practice, making plays left and right. It didn't translate to the field last year as much. Notre Dame's linebackers didn't have the best of seasons last year. Lots of missed tackles. Running game wasn't, running defense wasn't where they wanted to be. Uh, red zone defense for Notre Dame last year, it was like somebody gets inside the 20, somebody gets inside the 25, you might as well just put seven points on the board because they weren't stopping anyone last season. Now I think that you return a lot of guys, though, and that doesn't always end up being the um, being the solve all your problems just because there's experience and it's bad experience. But I do think that that Leofau is is a guy that I think last year was his first amount of big time playing time on the field, and I think that's going to translate into okay now kind of have this figured out, and I think that you're going to see him take a step this senior year. Nick Shepkowski can check out his work at uh, Fighting Irish Wire at USA Today Sports. Nick, enjoy the game. Thanks so much. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Hunter. Thanks, brother. All right, uh, Nick and all of our guests appear courtesy of our hotline here on Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. All right, uh, coming up, we get to your text. And, Hunter, you got praised for perspective. Woo! That's coming up right now. A look at traffic. It's off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. Coming up, uh, Hunter got to watch a documentary. I couldn't because I don't have a Netflix account. <laughs> but we'll talk about, did I just get a what from the other room? Like, what? You don't have a Netflix account? Okay. Ah, wow. nice, Liz. Wow. That was great. Man, we, we hit low-hanging fruit there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Netflix just doesn't give any value to me. No live sports. Why should I have a Netflix account? Apple TV Plus, live sports. Hulu, live sports. Live sports. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Netflix just doesn't, doesn't do it for me. And uh, where are these Star Wars shows? Not on Netflix. 
but you got to watch that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, earlier in the show, we were talking about um, Trey Lance, and I, I think you offered good perspective because Trey Lance, who uh, for those that are just tuning in, has um, – well, I shouldn't say he's been demoted. He was not named the number two starter. Uh, Sam Darnold was the number one backup behind the starter, uh, Brock Purdy. And Kyle Shanahan, who had said – um, he would love for um, for Lance to continue as a San Francisco 49er, would love to make that happen. Also did mention he skipped practice today because he was upset about how it all went. And so a uh, text came in here, and it was from Patrick. Mm. And uh, Patrick says, Hunter, you are so correct. <laughs> wow. Everyone that complains about life in the USA, because you were saying, you know, why – Putting things in perspective, you're a quarterback. You're upset about you know being benched, uh, or being benched from being benched. That you're not going to show up to to uh, to practice. Have things in perspective. Go and and spend some time away. Serve, etc. Um, and understand the perspective. Patrick said, "Everyone that complains about life in the USA should all take a trip to the third world country." Homeless in the USA, you have a cell phone, car, shelter, food. Homeless in the Philippines, you literally have nothing. Although homeless in the USA, that's not necessarily true in in uh, many situations. You're just left there to perish. Thank you, Hunter, for your perspective. I mean, you've I mean, you've done service, so you kind of know what that's like. Yep. I mean, I think, and, and I, you know, Patrick kind of takes it a little bit differently. Everyone that complains about life in the USA, I don't. I, I think what you're kind of referring to is not necessarily that, but when you have complaints about your own situation, think about others who have a little bit differently. When you make seven figures, that's right. So it's specifically getting worked up over extreme first world problems, mm-hmm. pitching a fit when they bench you for another quarterback. Right. Cry me a river. Do you think that's going to matter if someone wants Trey Lance? That they saw that he didn't practice because... No, because Derek Carr uh, has a starting job right now. (laughs) And he pitched a fit at the end of last year. (sighs) So did Lamar Jackson. Did he pitch a fit or did the Raiders basically say, you know, you're a distraction, so go away? Uh, I don't know. It, it The perception was that he uh, could have been there and wasn't. Yeah, I, I, I guess it could have played both ways. It depends who you ask, right? You know, mm-hmm. there's there's always three different sides to the story. One it, one side, the other side, and the truth. I know we got a break to hit real quick, but Trey Lance hasn't earned anything in this league yet. Mm-hmm. What, what what do what do the Niners owe him? Nothing. Um, exactly. Except a chance, which uh, they gave. Go. Uh, we'll talk about the Florida doc after traffic and sports center. <laughs> Final words are uh, coming up in just a little while. We haven't done our M Dyer global scoreboard yet. Why? Because they didn't tell us to. Uh, but we will in uh, about 12 minutes there you go. here on uh, ESPN Honolulu. Uh, you have Netflix. I don't, which means uh, you got to see Swamp Kings, which is that uh, documentary on uh, some of the uh, very interesting days of Florida Gators football. Mm-hmm. Take me through uh, what you got to see there. I only got to watch the first two episodes. Um, oh, okay. So I know some things then that I probably shouldn't spoil. Uh, I mean, 
we know a lot of it, right? If we follow sports and we're alive during that era, uh-huh. uh, we know Tebow won the Heisman. If, yeah. By the way, if you didn't know Tebow won the Heisman, I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> he did. He almost won it twice. True. He should have won it twice. His, Debatable. His better year was the second one. Yeah, okay. Um, but uh, it chronicles Urban Meyer coming to Florida um, after he left Utah and tried to turn around that whole program. And so the first two episodes documents his coaching style, the training intensity that uh, the Gators went through building that program, and then the recruitment of guys like Tebow, Spikes, um, uh, shoot, I'm blanking on his uh, on his name right now. The uh, the, the running back, um, and uh, the, the, there were a few other guys too, and uh-huh. just kind of the the rise of the program. I haven't gotten to the real controversial stuff, which I'm sure is episodes three through five. Ah, uh, okay. So it, it was pretty vanilla. I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah. I thought we were going to see another version of. Uh, the 30 for 30 on Miami uh, with all of the ins and outs of what that program is kind of known for. And the other thing that you and I know is a lot of the guys on that Florida team either did time in prison or are still in prison. Yeah. So I was surprised that they didn't touch really any of that in the first two episodes. They, they really were taking it more on the football side of things um, than than anything else. There was very little off-the-field stuff that they even covered. Not to spoil it, because I have uh, I have some insight on it in front of me. They didn't spend a lot of time on it uh, over the remainder of the shows. Uh, I don't know if that changes your perspective on uh, on watching it. Um, you know, for example, so when you watched, yeah. did, they, did they talk about his treatment of players? Yes. Okay. Now, that... Ironically for me, Josh, was strangely nostalgic. Really? Yes. Um, Very, very, very eerily similar to my experience in the Chow era. Oh. At University of Hawaii. Okay. The way that they referred to walk-ons. Urban Meyer had a whole champions versus losers club where – if you performed well, particularly in the weight room and testing, you were on the winner's side. They would literally assign a butler to you, bring you steak, lobster to you at the table. And then on the opposite side of the table, they served hot dogs, hamburgers, and you had to go serve yourself. Wow. So that, that that's like one of many things that they, they document. Um, Meyer had them run every step of the Swamp Stadium. Um, They also did mat drills, which we did mat drills at UA. Describe for people what mat drills are. Uh, There's there's a gymnastics mat on the floor, and you are wrestling the guy in front of you while everyone else shouts for you to basically battle. They, 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 They exaggerated a little bit, saying that, you battle to the death, uh-huh. but you're battling against a guy to physically overpower and dominate them. Yeah, um, it's not only a mentally, physically, you know, grueling thing, but also an incredibly physically grueling thing. Uh, the uh, 
the weight training was extensive and severe. Um, th- there were a couple things that I know we did directly from the Florida Gators. Uh, our strength and conditioning coach at UH under the Chow era was a guy named Gary Beamer who played for Florida during that era. And so he brought over things like um, uh, the midnight lifts, w- which are really fun. You don't start the lift until midnight. Wow. And you go until 2, sometimes 3 in the morning. Um, and what's the point of that? Uh, it's team camaraderie, stuff like that. Okay. But you also know that you're in for you, – you're like it was known that you're going to get your butt kicked uh-huh. at, at these lifts. Um, that kind of went away in the Rolo era where it was much more functional. It was much more – we're training for a specific purpose yeah. under – at the time it was Bubba Reynolds. He was our strength and conditioning coach. That Urban Meyer era of training to improve mental toughness and mental uh, dedication to the team I, is is kind of dying out as a whole uh, across college athletics. Just because education has elevated on what is actually getting accomplished here, um, th- there, there was a great deal of what they documented. Where even Tim Tim Tebow in reflecting said it was really good for those of us that believed the more you bought in, the more you would succeed. But some of the guys, it really took an emotional toll on them. Yeah. So I'm glad that for some things that, that they need to die out. You know, I'm noticing in these documentaries, um, and, and it's not to you know go along the 30 for 30 line because those 30 for 30 documentaries are, are awesome. But awesome. I'm, I'm noticing – some of these documentaries that find their way onto Netflix, like the the Manti Teo one, yep. for example, or the Johnny right. football, yep. Every one of them have had several questions about him. The Johnny Manziel one, for example, um, you know, there is some powerful stuff in there about about Johnny Manziel and and really the the toll things took on him personally. But I I, I think some of the other questions remained is. Um, you know how did, did they leave some stuff out? Did um, did they try to paint him a little bit differently in the documentary? You know the Manti Teo one, for example. I was surprised you had Manti and you had the other person in that documentary. Um, but I recall, I think Manti was also behind that documentary too, if I'm not mistaken, mm. uh, or at least it was helping produce it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm 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 noticing this trend that every time you see a documentary that is on on Netflix or something like that, that there usually is questions around it too. Like you know, do you feel like you're watching a documentary that's got great authenticity? Like this, you know, this Florida one. You know, one of the questions about its authenticity is, did they go easy on Urban Meyer? Yeah. Like you, you've you've watched the first two of five episodes, but would you say in the episodes that you watched that they kind of took it easy on him? Uh, kinda. They, they they painted it definitely along the lines of him struggling with anxiety and that sort of a thing, and uh-huh. the pressures of coaching in the South and in the SEC. To make, so, so it sounds like going by that, it was to paint him, even though that there were things that he clearly did wrong, Yeah. Um, to almost paint a sympathetic tone on him. Yeah, or 
to see it from his perspective, which I, as we're talking about this, I'm, I almost would be curious if he was involved in the storytelling mm-hmm. at all. Cause when they, uh, I, I forget what game specifically in his first year there, there was one time they took a charter plane home to Gainesville and he dismissed the coaches from the plane <laughs> and kept all of the players on the tarmac for like an additional two hours. What? And he cussed them all out on the plane saying that they weren't giving enough effort. Jeez. And if you didn't want to be here, you could leave. And guys literally left the plane and they left the team right then and there. So it's an old school way of coaching football that honestly just doesn't make sense anymore, Josh. Yeah, I mean, we're t- and and honestly, it's not that long ago yep. either. I mean, what are what are we talking about? Um, oh five, right? That that it, it feels kind of old to be like, yeah, that was two decades ago. Yeah, but it was still not that long ago, and and it's and it's amazing that that kind of still existed, and we're we're also kind of reminding ourselves this was the Aaron Hernandez era. Yep. Um. I don't know if you're at the part where they, they didn't mention him at all uh, yet. Okay, so I, I won't, uh, I won't spoil it. It's all good. Um, I know it's coming. Oh, it, it had I'm to look, be. And I'm looking for Cam too. Uh, basically, that the second episode documents Tebow's freshman year when they go and win the Natty against Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, so those guys may not have been on the team just yet. Yeah, I, it, it, I struggle if you're talking about this Florida era. And you're not accurately talking about Urban. Um, you know, obviously, his treatment of players is is something. I mean, there is a point where they I – don't, I don't know if they talked about it, but – There was a linebacker, um, Siler, I think uh-huh. was his last name, number 40, who was the leader of their team. And at uh, the end of a game when they lost, he was going around the locker room – cussing out specific guys and urban in front of everybody encouraged him to go even harder. Really? Yeah. So some would say that's intense. Other people would say, you know, that's creating a standard, which that's obviously the extreme side that urban Myers coming from. Right. I don't know exactly how I feel about it. Cause I mean, it does, if it, if it gets you results, it gets you results. You know, the other, I guess one of the areas, and this is from Awful Announcing, um, and I quote, an emotional Meyer talked about the death of Avery Atkins in 2007, a year after leaving the Gators as the reason he wouldn't kick players off the team, and then said, that's just about all the, all the coverage the negative aspects of the team get, close quote. Hmm. I, think that's, I think that's where the questions of it come in, where it's, okay, you're talking a lot more about the team and how they played, as compared to a lot of the behind the scenes stuff almost to kind of you know, kind of puff it up a little bit. Yeah, even the whole untold branding is different than the Manti Teo documentary or the Johnny Manziel one where it's on brand to the other untold episodes yeah. within that series. This one almost looks like it was put together by Florida. Yeah. Like the the colors, the the logos, like they're they uh epitomize Tebow in the intro it it it's very Florida positive yeah so I different producers 
it's directed by uh, Catherine English, um, and I don't I don't know who Catherine English is, um, but it sounds like um, here she directed and wrote two episodes of CNN's First Lady's docuseries. So it sounds like this is someone kind of unbiased. It doesn't sound like this is someone who was working for Florida, um, but it kind of almost gives this impression that it was meant to be on the easy side. Uh, Texter from the 375, I guess, has watched it, said they took it very easy on Urban. They glossed over a lot of the controversy. Hmm. Um, I guess you could also argue that they may have taken it easy on you know things like Aaron Hernandez and stuff too, but I guess that's going to be a, a little bit later on. Um, sorry to spoil it. That's okay. Um, you mentioned the the midnight lifts, yeah. right? Texter from the three nine eight says, uh, "Hey guys, Modern Day does midnight practices. This is a high school, and if you miss any practices, there's severe penalties to players and parents. Also, miss another practice and you're gone off the team. Private schools are able to do that." I'm just trying to uh, look college. I, I know things are a little bit different, especially public uh-huh. colleges like UH. Someone, if someone has an answer for me, I'd love to hear it. What is the point of a midnight practice in high school? Yeah, I, I also don't know what the, the 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 point of a midnight practice in college is either. But kids from for us, it was just fun. Okay. It shouldn't be some sort of hardcore disciplinary thing. As long as it's fun yeah. and, and players and, you know, buy into that. In the documentary, the, all the Florida guys, Tebow talked about as some of his fondest memories with the team were those midnight lifts. It's just, can you do that with 14 to 17-year-olds? That's tough. And then threaten that they're out of school. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I. There are times, I've probably said it too many times, High school coaches sometimes wield too much power. You're a high school coach, you know, unless you're like at a power program, like a modern day or whatever, and you probably get paid a boatload of money. Still, you're a high school coach. Yep. One brief thing that I noticed from the documentary, they didn't have one really marquee guest Uh in a chair or something that represented the opposition. That represented the negative side okay. of all of these things, you know, like a disgruntled former player or a disgruntled former staff member to give you like the the nitty gritty on what went down. There, there was very few of that. Either it's by design or some of them just didn't want to talk. Mm. Uh, we've got uh, traffic final words coming up in a little bit. First, our M Dyer Global scoreboard. It's brought to you by M Dyer Global, moving Hawaii into the future. We're watching the uh, Angels taking on Cincinnati. By the way, um, this is game two of a doubleheader. This is the one that was rescheduled from Monday because it was too wet uh, there at Angel Stadium because of the tropical storm. Uh, Shohei Otani pitched in the first game, left the game because of a tired arm. Um, he's back here in the second game as a designated hitter. Uh, Reds are leading 4-3. to three. That game is in the top of the seventh inning. Giants give up a three-run lead in the bottom of the ninth. They came back to win in the 10th, 8-6. to six. Um, It was really nerve-wracking. Really nerve-wracking. Uh, Yankees close out their uh, nine-game losing streak thanks to Aaron Judge's three home runs. Yankees win it 9-1. Uh, to one. 
Uh, Boston in 10 over Houston, 7-5. to five. That's your M. Dyer Global scoreboard brought to you by M. Dyer Global, always on the move. Traffic in seconds. You're listening to Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. All right, uh, final words in a moment. Just saw this come across here from uh, Robert Coleus from the Maui News. A lot of people have been asking, will Lahaina Luna play high school sports here? Uh, this year. This is what he just put out here. Um, they are they're basically saying as far as reopening, the Department of Education's designated the following temporary sites for students to learn or to return to learning environments with their teachers and peers as they await clearance for the Lahaina campuses to reopen. So the Lahaina schools will retain their school status but in temporary locations. Um, so, for example, Lahaina Luna high school students will function as a school within a school at Kulani Hako'i High. That's the new high school in Kihei. Hmm. That could be huge um, to allow them to participate in MIL sports as Lahaina Luna, as a school within a school. But they've still got some stuff to figure out there. Uh, but that's just in here within the last 10 minutes. So anybody wondering about whether Lahaina Luna will be playing uh, high school sports this year, you might be a little closer to the answer there. All right, uh, final words. Hunter, you're first. Um, I saw a pretty cool video earlier today from the Dan Patrick Show, and they had Jim Nance on as a guest. Uh-huh. And Dan Patrick asked Jim Nance where – and when he came up with his famous intro, Hello Friends. Yeah. And uh, I posted the video, the link to it on my Instagram, by the way. Um, and your Instagram is? Hunting.Hughes. There you go. Um, he tells a story from the 2002 PGA Championship where um, his dad was battling Alzheimer's and ended up battling for another six years before he passed. And he told his dad that he would come up with a, um, a a secret just encouragement to him that only him and his dad knew, and it was Hello Friends. Wow. And so every time that uh, – and after he did it, uh, a producer said, hey, that sounds like you. It doesn't sound like it's off-putting or off-character. You should continue doing it. And right. so from that day forward – he began every broadcast with Hello Friends as a, as a memory for his dad. That's awesome. Yep. The more um, we kind of learn about Jim, because Jim Nance, who recently stepped down from uh, doing college basketball That's in right. March Madness, it, it's not often that you get to learn a little bit more about just the person behind the microphone. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we learn about Jim Nance behind the microphone, the more it comes off as kind of just a – decently good guy he's a good guy he's got his clothing line he has to do all these big things but yeah i mean to to be just kind of he's, he's kind of normalized i think mm-hmm. um my final words are going to be from the text line fun yeah i might as well i mean a lot of a lot of people brought in texts here our zephyr insurance text line uh the midnight practices have come up here a little bit. Mm. Uh, texter from the seven three seven five mentioned in the documentary they implied the midnight practice was also to keep them from partying. Uh, 
It's not like they did it. I, I, I would beg to differ that they did that weekly. I think a lot of what they were describing was um, off-season workouts. Mm-hmm. It's impractical to lift that hard in season. You risk injury. Right. So that, that part I, I don't really agree with. Last one here. Um, this goes from uh, our conversation earlier about would I go down a zip line. Texter for the 223 says, Has both have both of you ever been on a real roller coaster ride and have been able to keep your eyes open throughout? That's a challenge. <laughs> um, I mean, you I, certainly blink. Yeah, so technically I'd fail that challenge. Um, I've been on a few roller coasters. Um, the one most notable, I think, is Knott's Berry Farm. Mm-hmm. That was my first real roller coaster. And I was freaked out about it, but I ultimately did it. I don't think I kept my eyes open, though. What about you? Oh, yeah. Grew up. I'm riding a ton of roller coasters. Love it. Eyes kept open? It just depends. If the joy hits too hard, you close them up. You'd be surprised, though. Um, one of the first rides I actually got comfortable on, because like, you have fairs and stuff. I uh-huh. was always like the guy who just wanted to play games. Yeah. I didn't care about rides. But the first ride I ever got comfortable on of, of all of them was the zipper. Ah. Yeah, because you kind of bounce a little mm-hmm. bit and you're going around. I, amazingly, that was the one I got comfortable on. Uh, when I was younger. All right, uh, Tanner's in for me tomorrow. Uh, Coming up next, Freddie and Fitzsimmons.